Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy, your favorite show on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies and all things movie related. I'm so excited because we're talking about the third Die Hard movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Maybe the fan favorite sleeper pick for the all-time favorite Die Hard movie. I think this like actually almost surpasses the first Die Hard in people's memories. We're going to talk about the whole thing and break it down for you guys. Hang out with us. We'll see you in just one second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Boom! What's up, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy. Streamways are back again. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I think no. maybe we should just make Extremeways like the theme song. I of our always show. want to hear it yeah. when, when the boom goes off. The only song I've ever liked more that played was Still Dre. For the training day episode. That was real good. And that's going to play every single time we do a Denzel movie from here on out. Always. Ever. And then the Chumbawamba was really good when Roxy brought yeah, that, that on for great. her for her thesis. Yeah, that was very good. <laughs> Guys, welcome to the show. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy, the online broadcast network t- dedicated to talking movies. It's called The Popcorn Talk. You're watching it. We're on it. Uh, and uh, this is Action Movie Anatomy. We talk about action movies on this show. Maybe you've watched us before. Maybe you will recognize me from some of my films. <laughs> Maybe you will, John. I, I play the villain in a great number of American action movies. Uh, Joaquim Aldemedi- or De Almedia? <laughs> yeah. Very Love strong. that guy. Uh, guys, yeah, we, we talk about action movies here. I'm your host, Ben Bateman. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you want, at Ben Bateman Media. And I'm Andrew Guy. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Andrew Guy. Yes, and this is the show where we talk about action movies that adhere to four basic rules. Yes, Those they do. four basic rules are, number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. McLean is like one of the cornerstone heroes to, that even created this show. Like, when you think about who are the heroes that we wrote our rules for, Yeah, McLean's like, one of the guys. Of course he plays by his own rules. Absolutely. I mean, Die Hard was one of the ones, too, that we just, like, the whole show was based around, like, these old classics that yep. we, t- you know, Rambo, Die Hard, Predator. And so, the rules, as you'll as you'll find out, it's it's perfect. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, you couldn't do a Die Hard movie without having it be exactly this formula. Yeah, it, it would be... A travesty. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. The fact that there's a duo hero pair in this one because Zeus is smarter than Willis. He is absolutely. Yeah, and but that's like that's like your classic. They both. It's like two halves of a whole thing. And yeah. uh, and definitely Jeremy Irons is uh, is the smartest guy in the he room. He sure is. Yeah, he's so he's so cunning. He's so calm. Yeah, with the glasses. But they're not even the round John Lennon glasses. Uh -uh. They're like the octagon glasses. Yeah, I also love when he's just walking around in the tank top. Yeah. He's just like kind of ripped, but like not really. It's uh, super European. Oh, so European. But not even like like real European. Like we're making a pass at like people who are watching this. Like 90s stereotypical European. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's for people that had never actually been to Europe or met a European. They're just like, that is what they're like. I'm sure of it. That's what they all walk around with. They're all kind of half naked and they're like (laughs) weird art and like have terrible haircuts like sleet like very long and lanky there was like a quote that jeremy irons when uh when like in an interview described that one fan called his haircut in this movie a midlife crisis walking (laughs) 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 which that's funny that's very good uh rule number three the movie is driven by a police military or political figure come on john come on john and there you go what are you trying to say yeah my cop again that's my copy. You're pretty close there. That's close. That's not bad. It's not bad. He has a tough. It's because his voice is so kind of soft. Yeah. But he has like he delivers it hard. If that makes sense. I don't really have a Willis. I don't it, really have one. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, I get so many bad things. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get there. Four, the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. This is not one of those ones where there's explosions of emotion, though there are. No. But this is true, actual, real explosions happening in the film. Simon likes to blow shit up. He does. He <clears> does. <throat> um, so, guys, that's what we're doing here. If you want to follow along in the conversation, there's a live chat going. We don't have it up in front of us. Or oh, Drew has it up in I'm front trying. of us. I'm trying. It seems kind of quiet today, though. Oh, yeah? yeah? Okay. It's interesting. You'd think people love this movie. I know. Um, and then... Uh, well, the, the first person that wrote something was my favorite Die Hard movie. Absolutely. I think mm-hmm. it's a lot of people's favorites. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, and then you can find us on Twitter if you guys want to follow along and share in the conversation there at AMA Podcast. We've been getting some fun interaction there. We do a AMA question of the week every yep. week where we ask our fans, what do you guys want to hear us debate about this movie? What's the thing? What's the thing you want to know? And so we'll often pull from that for either the movie we're doing the next week. And you guys got to you got to get those questions up because we do them every single week. And Josh Ryan Sports, our buddy, he asked great questions. We've probably done this segment maybe like six times, and five of them have been him. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Josh Ryan, it's almost like it's your segment. It is, and we're yeah. going to do another one of your questions today, man. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's Josh Ryan Sports on Twitter. That's right. Um, so, guys, let's get into the film. Uh, we're going to we're gonna queue up the trailer here to start things off. Simon Says. It's a pretty good trailer. Yeah, yeah, it's classic 90s, like, fun. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In a city that yeah. never sleeps, a, <laughs> a photographer with an eye for beauty. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Maybe all the time. Of all Yeah, time. I think it is. Just a mind of terror. I want to play a game with I Lieutenant McLean. What kind of game? Simon says. Irons is super sweet. He's very good. Yeah. He's a great actor. If we don't do what this guy says, he's going to blow up another public well, Why me? What has he got to do with me? I have no idea. He just said it had to be you. It's nice to be needed. Simon says, get to the paper in Wall Street Station by 10.20 or the number three train and its passengers vaporize. I'm not jumping through hoops for some psycho. That's a white man with white problems. You deal with it. White man. Yeah. White problems. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> This guy wants to pound on you till you crumble. Are you I love that guy, the, the well, therapist or the oh, psychologist yeah, yeah, yeah. that's just there. Yeah. <laughs> Kill you. Oh dear. You don't like me because I'm white. I don't like you because you're gonna get me killed. On May 19th. On May 19th. This is a bad idea. I always wonder how fast I would die if I tried to do anything that happens in an action movie. Well, and specifically a Die Hard movie. Yeah, you're you're reminded that like what this franchise was about a little bit was him doing like really outrageous stuff that was like totally impossible. Right. But like just the one man doing it because it obviously gets to an absurd degree when he like. What does he do in the What does he do in the fourth one? Does he like drive a, a drive a car into a? Oh, he drives a car. Oh, maybe. I remember when he drives the car through the building. He like yeah. gets knocked stories down by Maggie Q, and then he yeah. drives the car back through the building and hits her, and like drives down an elevator shaft. I think in the fourth one is the one that he he jumps a car into a like into a I, helicopter. I totally believe or that. Or into a plane, maybe. I I believe it. Yeah. I don't remember. I've only seen the fourth and the fifth one. I think once each. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth one I've seen on cable. The fourth one I saw in theaters. Fourth one's kind of sweet. Yeah, the fourth one's good. Yeah. With the vengeance. NYPD. Are you all right? Yes. Laundry day. <laughs> Laundry day. Laundry day. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, so that is uh, Bruce Willis is hilarious. Yeah, Bruce Willis is the fucking best. <laughs> uh, so, guys, we're gonna do a couple things right now. We are gonna start the sucker off with something we like to do on the show, which is called thesis statement. And uh, thesis statement is this, it's sort of like the big bold idea you have about the movie. We mm-hmm. like to come up with one every week, we kind of share it. We sort of try to defend it throughout the whole movie. It shouldn't be something loose like this is my favorite Bruce Willis movie. It shouldn't be something like this is one of the best uses of New York City. I mean, that right. would almost work. But almost. Like, you really want it to be like, this is the best use of New York City. Yeah, like, this is the greatest buddy cop duo ever. This is the greatest this or that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of what we do here. So we try to sort of defend it, and when you go around talking to people about movies, this should be an idea that maybe resonates with you as an audience member. You can then quote and then be like, you know what's really interesting about that movie? That We want them to be strong enough that you can agree with us or disagree with us and share right. your thoughts. So uh, I'll jump in first with mine. Sure, I think because mine's mine's going to be mine's scary to say. So please, it's controversial. It is. <laughs> uh, mine is that this is the greatest Bruce Willis team up in his career. Okay, so Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson essentially yeah. is the greatest team up in his entire career in this movie specifically because he's got great scenes and great movies. I mean, Willis mm-hmm. has had an unbelievable career, well over a hundred credits, right? And he's paired with some great people. I mean, there's some very iconic movies where you think about how good that movie was and the amount of time he spends on screen. I mean, take even like Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense. Like that's yeah. a really good pairing. There's some great stuff. But when I watched this movie, the thing I was reminded of the very most was like. I'd have a hard time arguing that I didn't enjoy Sam Jackson more in this movie than I did in almost anything. Like, yeah. it's close to my favorite. He's great. It's a great use of his character. It's great writing. Their relationship's hilarious. And he doesn't... 
it's not even it's not even one of those like your turn my turn situations with him and with him and Willis. It's like yeah. they're perfectly equal in what they do in this movie. It's just great. So I think my my thesis is that this is the greatest Bruce Willis team up in his career. I don't think I can argue that. I, I think you're right, and it's crazy going back and watching this movie because this is my favorite Die Hard movie, yeah. and I and I haven't watched it actually probably in like over five years, maybe even more. Yeah, and going back and watching it again, I was surprised and just like so happy that it was as funny and as enjoyable as it was yeah. to me yesterday as yeah. it was as a kid. So that's proof that like it is good acting and writing and, and and Sam Jackson and Bruce Willis are perfect together. You're right. They never give and take. It's just they're always together doing. Yeah. Even in their conversation. So my thesis ah man, it's tough. It's tough to even say, but I'm I'm gonna do it. Peter Gruber is a better villain than Hans. Oh, blasphemy! I Outrageous. know, I know, but he is. The whole Simon says in the game and like how diabolical he is. You know, you pulled that fact that Sean Connery was the first choice for this film. Yeah, but he didn't want to do it because this character is so diabolical. Like, look, Hans is awesome. Yeah, Hans. I mean, everyone knows that. Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber. But Jeremy Irons is so great in this movie. He's all the phone calls are are awesome. His acting is so good, and he's just pure evil. Wow. That's a ballsy, ballsy thesis statement. It's this, tough. And it's... Wow. I don't know if I can get on board with that. I completely... I mean, Hans Ruber is your favorite villain of all time. I think. Is he? Or right, I, I think you have Hummel. Hummel is number one. I think I moved Hummel ahead of him. Yeah. yeah, and then Hans is like two. Yeah, with Bodhi at three. Yeah, so yeah. like... I think I would do it. I think if we still had our list, I would put Simon right in front of Hans. That is... Outrageous. 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 <laughs> I mean, I love him. Don't get me wrong. I love the purple tank. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's I love awesome. the haircut. Love the glasses. Yeah, he's very, he's nefarious. He's Love a, the sex scene. Yeah, he's <laughs> an unnecessary, totally unnecessary. <laughs> he's, he's just a great actor, Jeremy Irons. He is. And that was another thing is like, this was right, I mean, right around then he did Scar as well. In, uh, oh, in the Lion, in King. Lion King, of course, his voice is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's it, it definitely has that deep thing. He's very. It does. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's okay. I'll, I mean, I'll give it to oh, you. Oh, here we go. Boom. So chat, chat did wake up after that blasphemy. How dare you, Drew? Hans is the man. <laughs> Simon says, Andrew, you're crazy. Say something <sighs> offensive, guys. Get him riled up. Get him riled up. Simon uh, says the show is over. Simon says. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that is that. That's the thesis statement, guys. We're going to continue moving once again. AMA podcast on Twitter if you want to share your thoughts. The only bummer about the live chat, uh, we do look over at it and pay attention mm-hmm. to it, but it does disappear at the end of this. We don't it get sure to does. see what you say. So if you want to share your thoughts and comments at AMA podcast, that's the best way to do it. Um, so we're going to get into our next segment. Now, Andrew and I, this last week, we guessed it on a show called we Fan did. Friction on the Tough Channel. Which is uh, which is uh, Jack Shipley and Brian Hurst uh, is involved in the show, and we debated Hurst, who's a longtime fan of the we show. Did. He's a longtime fan and a good friend of ours. Yeah, and we debated the shit out of some action movie topics. There were excellent questions. We had like, what was the greatest Arnold movie ever? Who, yeah. What was the greatest female action character ever? The greatest martial arts film? Yeah. So, and then the last segment. We stole from them because we liked it so much. Yes, yeah, so we wanted to rehash it on here because we thought it was a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to give full credit to Fan Friction. Go mm-hmm. find the episode if you guys want to see the original conversation. We're going to kind of just have a slightly, slightly different take on it. But the question was, what is your pitch, your fantasy pitch, for the final Die Hard movie? The last Die Hard movie, the one to close out the franchise. Yes. And so we're each going to get about 60 seconds here. Steve, can you, uh, we have Steve up here in the booth. How you doing, buddy? Can we get a like a sixty second timer? Can you? Uh... So yeah. yeah, we're gonna do a sixty second pitch each f- film t- and included with the title. We want you guys in the chat, anybody on Twitter, to vote which one you liked better. And again, this is not the next Die Hard movie. This is the last Die Hard movie ever. Yep. If we're gonna end the franchise, which isn't gonna happen anytime soon. All right, so we're gonna start with title and then rattle off the pitch. Oh, someone just up blasphemed me. What they say? Which I like, uh, Felix. Alvarez says, I'll up blasphemy you. I have seen Die Hard 3. I have never seen the first one. Mm. Yep. Outrageous! I like you. We should hang out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Drew. Uh, <clears throat> you want to go first or should I? Uh, I'll go first. You start with your title. Okay. My title is Die Hardest. Because why not? <laughs> uh, this is great. So I took a few ideas from Brian and I took a few ideas from my own and I combined them. So the beginning, Zeus dies. He's found back at the fountain in New York City, there, like, splayed up. 
yeah. all you know bloodied and gashed and of course written on his chest in blood just says Gruber that's all so of course John McClane has to come because Hans Gruber and his brother are the two greatest villains he's ever faced in his whole career <clears throat> So he goes there and he's got his partner. He's there with his son, of course, because he was introduced in the last movie or the last couple movies. And they go and the phone rings. The payphone rings because there's still payphones in New York City. And what happens? Of course, someone answers the phone on the other line ah. with a German accent. Played by Mr. Michael Fassbender, we find out it is the long lost descendant of the original Hans Gruber, his long-lost son. Five so, seconds. Five seconds, shit. So, what happens is they, they have to go on a wild <laughs> goose chase. He makes them go run around the city just like Simon does. They end up back at Nakatomi Plaza, and Bruce Willis dies. Damn, I took too much time in the beginning. Yeah. Last time we had, like, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> shit. Yeah, well, it was pretty good. It was good, but it felt part. I felt like the third act was pretty weak, though. It's because I had five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> they end up back at Nakatomi Plaza. Bruce Willis dies. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm ready for my attempt to destroy you. I mean, that mine was really bad there at the end. If you recall what my pitch is, I don't think it's going to stand a chance. <laughs> That's but, true. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, title, The Final Die Hard. All right? Okay. All right. Bruce Willis has started a private investigation agency in New York City. He gets a, a nefarious phone call that has him go to Miami to track down somebody who's claiming to have information about, so they're going to track down his family and kill his family. He shows up there. There's a rogue cop played by Russell Crowe. It's very humid. <laughs> Russell Crowe's sweating a lot. Wow. Uh, a lot. He's like very sweaty, and he's gained some weight. He's kind of like the nice guy's crow. So they have to team up, but at first it's like they're at odds because they don't like each other because Russell Crowe's like a rogue cop. He's like the Miami John McClane. Yes. So they, they go down to the station because Crowe arrests him because he thinks McClane's doing something uh, totally terrible, but that was the plan all along. Somebody blows up a bunch of shit around the police station, and they're going to take out the entire police station as they have to team up. Now, we find out that the villain is played by none other than Gary Busey. Goofy Gary Busey. There's no lines in the script for Gary Busey. Everything is ad-libbed, so everything he says is just like, I'm going to show you how the sausage is made. It's just going to be like stuff that he said, and that's going to be like how the movie works out. So, then in the end, uh, they fight it out. Willis rides off into the sunset. He kills uh, Busey, and uh, he and Crow stay friends, and that's the last Die Hard movie, the final Die Hard. They were both pretty weak in the third act, but I really love the Fat Russell Crowe and Bruce Willis dynamic. I think after watching The Nice Guys, I just want to see Fat Russell Crowe do anything. Me too. Just I, Imagine if Fat Russell Crowe and Fat Val Kilmer teamed up for a movie. Fat Russell Crowe is the villain in MacGruber 2. It would be great. That would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah, be excellent. <laughs> oh, <laughs> two of them working together. All right, guys, so if you liked mine more... Let me know at AMA Podcast. If you like Ben's more, let him know. I don't know. What, what, what should we hashtag? Should we do a hashtag? Yeah, just tweet at us, guys. I've been at Media at, uh, at Andrew Guy. And just a big, big thanks again to having us on for that show. Big thanks to Hearst. Big thanks to Jack. Uh, and uh, if you enjoyed the segment, you know, tweet at us and go watch the episode. It was, it was a funny episode. If you're wondering yeah. who won, I won. But <sighs> you were I got I my You were hoping kicked. I didn't say that, Well, you? I was like, I wanted <laughs> to call it out that I just got ruined on the show. But uh, I wasn't sure if it's a spoiler alert. But the real, the fun of the show is the, is the debating. It's not who wins. It's not yeah. if we win anything. But yeah, I got just wrecked. That's what people who lose tell themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Points don't matter. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Moving on. We're going to get into fist pump moment. For those of you that have watched or listened to the show, you know that fist pump moment is that moment in the episode where we talk about something that we're just like, fucking awesome. Yeah. Yes. That look, moment, look around. Like, inside, you get like butterflies. You get excited. Yeah. It's, it, sometimes it can be like kind of a silent or a quiet, like just like, this is the best. Like, I want to share this with someone. I want to tell mm-hmm. someone to watch this because this is just making me so happy. Um, and it can be anything. You know, it can be like a title, it can be the music, it can be like a headshot, a touching look between father and son, and uh, a dramatic engagement over the over the telephone between John Travolta and and Denzel Washington. Or Denzel Washington <laughs> and his wife. Yeah, talking about milk and taking pill in one, two, three. I can get a, I can get a half gallon. I can get a half gallon. Can't get a whole gallon. I can get a half gallon. You know, he's he's gonna get nominated for an Oscar this year. Is he for Fences? They're making the classic play. Uh, he and uh, I, well, yeah, him and uh, uh, James Earl Jones. Those are the two original guys that play. Or, I mean, the two greatest performances of that character. Yeah, and then but he's with um, her name's escaping me. I you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, I, I'm uh, in it, and uh, yeah, I'm seeing like a bunch of buzz that he's one of the the big favorites for the Oscar nod this year. Him in that play is incredible. It's very different when, than James Earl Jones doing his. Yeah. Um, it's definitely more like Denzelish, yeah, like more shit talking. But it's it's excellent. If you guys haven't seen the play or read it, I, I highly recommend you do that. Yeah, it's gonna be good. I love Denzel. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited if Denzel's in another like big Oscar performance. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I love watching him do the fun like Tony Scott style movies, but I also love watching him just be an excellent actor. He's a great actor. Yeah, he's, he's a great, tremendous. Great fucking actor. So uh, anyway, let's uh, let's continue moving on. We're gonna talk about fist pump. What our fist pump moment in this movie was. Uh, would you like to start, or should I, uh, Senor Drew? I want to say really quick that. <laughs> 
Rangers fan, 1996, said Ben won as soon as he said Gary Busey was in it, which is, <laughs> which is just great. Um, tactics, Drew. Uh, tactics. And we got, <laughs> if you're going to shoot me, shoot me. Uh, then shoot me, but I need to answer that phone. That's, yeah. that's their fist pump. That's and the great. music is also a fist pump. Yeah. So my fist pump is when they're in the car. Okay. And he's there with... The FBI guy and uh, the guy from another organization. Yeah. He just doesn't say. Another agency. Yeah, another agency. You're like, it's the CIA. It's, yeah, just come on. What else could it possibly be? Um, it's when they're figuring out who it is. Does the name Gruber mean anything to you? Yeah. That's the moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and his like, eyes go, no, it's right after that. You go, Peter Gruber. He's Hans Gruber's brother. You're like, I was like, it was so awesome. Yeah, that's great. And like, I was watching with a friend, and I told them, I was like, I was trying to explain the show. Yeah. And it was like a fist pump moment. You know, I, I always explain the fist pump moment. And and we both looked at each other and we're like, that's a fucking fist pump yeah, moment. Yeah, right? Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. It was a really great moment. Yeah, totally. That, that was like my number two. That was right yeah. behind. For me, my favorite, and this is this is like a little different, but this is why fist pump moment's great, because it can be whatever you want it to mm-hmm. be. The moment where they're arguing with each other and Willis looks at him and he's like, you know what your problem is, Jewel, is Zeus? You're a racist. He's <laughs> like, I'm a racist, motherfucker. And he's like... And you're just like I was like this is 1995 like yeah. this is this is like Rodney King like like OJ the whole like mid 90s like hip hop culture was being yeah. commercialized all of it like racism and racial tension especially in New York City was just like all time high yeah which is why that opening scene is so crazy it's crazy and like I just was watching it and I was like because he's dead right he's dead right he yeah. was a racist Willis he's a total had, racist was not racist no. like and it's it's one of the things that makes their interaction and their relationship in the movie so endearing in the end. Yeah. Is that, like, he's the white guy that breaks through, that, like, Sam Jackson drops his guard finally and helps him. Yeah. Everything. Like, I just... And it's done so... It's kind of weird to say in a Die Hard movie, but, like, poetically. It's done totally. very well. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about this, how um, how we have so much so many problems still all these years later, 21 years later, with <laughs> racism in America. In some ways... equally bad to what what, what it was then you know with with, uh, so much mistrust in the police force and all these things and I was thinking about that and if I'm a kid and I'm kind of impressionable and I'm watching as media comes out what does it take to change my opinion where I like because obviously there are, there are very good police officers in the world and Absolutely. there are very corrupt police officers in the world that have gotten themselves in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was thinking about that and I was like, watching this movie, I was like, this is the kind of media that comes out, that is done well, that informs a young generation right. of what's right. And I was thinking about when this movie came out, it's like everything about this was just awesome. It's like the, his character is, is like the big glasses. He's modeled after Malcolm X. Like right. That's why he wrote the character the way that he did. It's just such a cool fucking thing. And so when he says that line, I was like, not only is it like a comedy in this movie, not only is it like totally that what's written on the sandwich board is like really mm-hmm. intense, but like he decided to go there in the script. He did. He decided to go there in the script, pull it off in Harlem, yeah. in New York, and then a black guy saves him. Like to do this now, to do this in media today, I think would be impossible. Yeah. But and he decides to go there and have Willis call out Zeus as the racist, which is the, <laughs> yeah. that's the best part is that and it, he doesn't even get offended. He gets pissed, but they like it's just great. It's just fucking great. I don't know. Yeah. I, I loved it when that happened. I was like, I just kind of was like, like a, it was like a nod. It was like a head nod. Well, it's one of those moments that catches you off guard when you're watching a movie like this, especially because I don't know how long it's been since you've seen this movie. Wow, yeah. It's been a long time for me, as I said earlier, and you forget that these moments are in there, and you've and we've yep. gotten older, yep. so these moments are much more dramatic to us. You know, they have they carry so much more weight to them. So I think that's an excellent fist bump. Yeah, definitely, and and also, I mean, it's kind of what we talked about. I think we talked about this a lot in the script for the Taking of Pelham One Two Three because there's a couple really great moments uh, we talked about that are sort of hidden in that script, mm-hmm. where in, interactions and conversations, especially between Ryder and uh, Garber, where. He says, like, what's he say? He's, there's the one line about marriage that, he, that I remember we wrote down. Oh, that's down. a great line, yeah. And it's you forget that it, just because they're action or adventure or thrillers, you forget that those moments, like, kind of in this movie, stuff like that, or when he and Zeus are tied up, you know, and, and he's laughing at him, that he's like, you lost your marriage over, you know, some stubborn shit over not calling your wife back. Like, there's just... It's just great. When writing is good, writing makes these movies. We Absolutely. always say it's not the action. It's really not the action it's not, that makes it, these movies good. It is not. It's everything that happens in between the action. And especially when... If you're not just having fun in between it, but if you actually have moments in, in these type of movies where you have to... You sit back and you kind of think. Yeah. You're actually kind of struck or touched by it. That's what makes it an excellent, great, transcendent action movie. Yeah, definitely. Even though Taking a Pelham might not be that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Taking Pelham will be like I'll be like 50 years old. I'll be like talking to my kid. I'm like you got to see Taking Pelham. Yeah. Be like Dad, why? I'm like there's this great couple scenes. <laughs> yeah, there's a great couple scenes. You'll remember. It. You will. You will. Uh, so anyway, guys, we're gonna we're gonna continue moving on with the show. Let's get into star profiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first and foremost, we'll talk about Willis. You know, Willis and Jackson both. We we decided to go with Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson as the the, the stars of this movie, even though Jeremy Irons has a, a strong strong claim. Yeah, as the same level, but. Um, they're both in the same position when this movie comes out, which is that they had both been in Pulp Fiction the, the previous year. Mm-hmm. Um, both of them had had very prominent roles in one of the most loved movies. And at the time, a, a, a cultural kind of like zeitgeist film, really, Pulp Fiction was as impactful as a movie on s- filmmaking stylistically, everything, as almost any movie that's ever come out. It's one of those movies that's so loved by so many people that like even if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction you know it's cool and you know it's a good movie you and know? you probably know half the scenes because they've been spoofed in all kinds Everything. of stuff yeah. yeah I saw a great Mrs. Mia Wallace this year yeah. she had the great wig she got the uh, the blood on her yeah. nose and the red dot totally oh it was excellent yeah and so I think I think that that's the, it, 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 it created this idea of both of these guys going forward in our childhoods because this movie came out exactly at the right time we were both seven when this yeah, movie came out they were so cool yeah the next ten years of their careers happened when we were like kids up to high school mm-hmm. and you know like I saw tons of the movies that they were both in oh absolutely um, and so but if you look at what we listed and I didn't even pull the exact three movies prior I pulled like a couple of the most recent and like the biggest ones okay there's a couple movies in between these for both guys that I'd never heard of and and after that, I'd never heard of. They both <laughs> worked so much, so much. Yeah, I mean, that's these guys are at the 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 beginning of their like taking off point. Like they're already working a lot. They're already leads. They're already in great movies. And as we said, they're in Pulp Fiction. But like like you said, for the next ten years, these dudes are in everything. Yeah, I think the big difference. We're well, starting with Willis here. Is that Willis broke out with the first Die Hard? That's mm-hmm. that's eighty seven. So this is 95. It's eight years later. Between those two movies, the, the most notable things that happened were you had a second Die Hard movie. You had Striking Distance in 1993, which is directed by Rowdy Harrington, who directed Roadhouse. Right, right. Um, you had... I was like, why does that movie sound so familiar? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had Pulp Fiction. You had... I think he did Hudson Hawk in there. And then there's... Uh, oh, Hudson Hawk, Jesus. 12 Monkeys, I think, is the same year as as this. I think, I think so. 12 yeah. Monkeys is 1995. So... You know his his career. He was like a star. He was a lead. Mm-hmm. He was getting big contracts. He was doing franchise movies. The difference is that Sam Jackson had been a bit more of a character actor, um, and still to this day, Sam Jackson is not really a guy that they you put a whole movie behind. No, you know, like he's always teamed up with someone else, or usually teamed up with someone else. Yeah. Well, also, and the the other major difference is you look at each of these movies. You know, nobody's fooled. Bruce Willis is a, I think, third build actor in that movie. It's with Paul mm-hmm. Newman. Pulp Fiction, obviously, he's a major character. Striking Distance is an action movie based around him. I mean, Kiss of Death, Losing Isaiah, these are movies where, you know, Sam Jackson's really a supporting character in both of those Which movies. Kiss of Death? Why does that sound so funny? Nick Cage. Nick, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Um, he's a supporting character in both movies. He's an important character, but, like, he never... And, and, and years later, what happened with their careers was that Bruce Willis just kept making star, starring movies, starring, until finally, yeah. when once Redbox Generation happened... He became one of the guys that was making straight-to-video action movies. Yeah, that was a kind of a bummer when you saw that start to happen. Yeah, and he, but he still stars in those movies. Whereas Sam Jackson, he got like I would say the run for him is like right around here through probably like the mid two thousands. Yeah, before I was going to say like two thousand two or three. Yeah, before people started to kind of realize that okay, this guy's a little bit of like a one-trick pony. He's kind exactly. of a caricature of himself. Yeah, and it's funny because you, you pulled this as well. As Sam Jackson said that Zeus is the closest character to my personality of any that I've played. I feel like he is. I mean, yeah, like that character, the one the one in Pulp Fiction, you do kind of get tired of it. You get tired of Sam Jackson in general, for, or at least I do. Like, I'm not... I, I love the dude, but yeah. I, he's not one of my favorite actors. No. But then seeing him in Django Unchained was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it was like a little bit different. He was still kind of crotchety. Yeah. But it was, it was nice and refreshing to not just see him like yelling it shit all the time totally it's the thing that happens to a lot of leads a lot of like a lot of these actors they get they what happens is they work so much they get comfortable so they start getting cast for these very easy characters yeah a little bit of screen time maybe or like we wrote this character for you because you're so good at doing that thing you do yes they come in they shoot you know they're in for for a very short amount of time and they walk away from it what ends up happening is they do that enough times in the span of five or six years that 
they kind of start to be only remembered for that one tonality. Exactly. And then those those films, uh, when you pop up and you see them real quick, you're just like, yep, perfect, perfect. That's yeah. Sam Jackson for the last 20 years, when, when, when in reality he's actually done different work in between there. Yeah. But he's so big now that every movie that, that he's in, you're going to see it in theaters probably or on video. So that's, it's just, it's tired, but it's a paycheck and I get it. Yeah, I heard a story, a friend of ours, you remember Paul, Paul Haken? Oh yeah, yeah. He was telling me once that he was, a, he was an extra on um, I like Oceans. Paul. Paul's yeah. a good guy. He's a good dude. Yeah. He was an extra on Oceans Thirteen, I think is what the story they told me. Okay. And uh, he was watching as the as Pacino was doing his scenes, and you know Pacino, like historically, obviously, is like one of the great of all time actors, and he's classically trained and everything. But at that point, like we're talking like early like twenty ten, probably mm-hmm. something like that. You know, he was kind of in paycheck mode. He was he, mostly yes. Weird. And he talks about watching as they were doing the scene, and like Pacino, like didn't know his lines he was like not off book his phone rang during a take like had his phone in his pocket yeah and was just like the like laziest mail it in kind of thing and like i just remember watching and just thinking to myself like huh like or like like thinking about that scene in my mind like of course like because they're just saying to pacino like do you want this role right we're just gonna give it to you if you want it yeah you're just gonna give it to you here's x amount of dollars yeah you're a professional all you have to do is show up and shoot these scenes on these days Mm -hmm. you're a a movie star so we'll just trust that you're gonna know exactly what you're supposed to do when you're gonna do it and then you get to leave you we're gonna get you for two days or whatever like that's when you're at that level you're just you're going off the brand name and i think you get to a guy that's level like a sam jackson i think what kind of what nick cage is doing now probably where most of what you do is that is exactly that right you know which is why you got to really respect those guys like i mean man look at jk simmons dude's been working for our entire lives and no one knew who he was until like two years ago you know what i mean totally like obviously people like us and most movie fans knew jk simmons but the general public didn't yeah and the dude's been working forever so that's why I mean, clearly his career path has been much different than Sam Jackson's, but, like, it sucks when you see actors take that path. Yeah. Mar- Marlon Brando did it, and it was such a bummer. Total you bummer. Know? Yeah. Um, absolutely. So that's uh, that's going to kind of cover uh, cover what we got going on for star profiles here. I want to talk to you about Sam Jackson real quick. Though. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Since we just had this long discussion about him and his career and whether he's just, like, a one-trick pony... Let's go back to our game that we had a few weeks ago. Okay, sure. So that's properly, or is it uh, underrated, overrated, or properly rated a- a as game, an actor? By the way, guys, that we asked last time, we're still trying to come up with who are the action movie characters that the consensus opinion is so completely we think they are overrated. Because we would like to name this game like like actor name, actor name, actor name. Yeah, exactly. That represent each one, uh, which we established last time that we felt Vin Diesel was the most appropriately rated action movie actor. Yes, he is, is. absolutely, because you know exactly what you're going to get. So who, in your guys' minds, who's the most overrated and the most underrated action movie actor? And let us know so that we can name this segment. Yeah. So, but for now, it's going to be overrated, underrated, properly rated uh, on Sam Jackson. Um, hmm. You want to go first? I think he's overrated. Yeah. I really do. I think that... Oh, shit, I don't know. It's tough because I actually think that Sam Jackson's a good actor, but the fact that people love him so much for what he's done and is still doing it just feels wrong. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to celebrate a one-trick pony for 30 years. Yeah. It's easy to do it for five or ten. But, like, like I said, when I saw him in Django Unchained, I was like, thank God you're doing something different. Even yeah. though it's still a little bit of what you're used to. And, like, I know there's other movies out there, guys, that he's been in where he plays something different. But they're not the big blockbuster movies that yeah. everyone talks about. So I really think that Sam Jackson's overrated until he's in a movie where he plays opposite of what he's comfortable with and he gets recognized for it. That's when he'll, I guess, earn my respect, which is hard to say because I do love Sam Jackson. Yeah. But again, I think he's, I think he's way overrated. I'm going to go properly rated. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Sam Jackson is properly rated for a couple reasons. I think that uh, if, I, if you were talking to me six years ago, I think I would have said overrated. Okay. Um, I think that the perception of him has changed, and I think what we're talking about with him being a little bit of like a one-trick pony, and that he, I don't think people talk about him in the way they used to, where if his name was on a bill, it was like, oh, yeah, that's that has value. Like, that's what it was like when we were growing up. Yeah. And I think it's changed, but the reason that I wouldn't go, I wouldn't call him overrated is because I know for a fact Sam Jackson still does stuff sometimes that is interesting. Yeah. He did Django because Tarantino is a friend of his, obviously, and he wrote him a role. He did uh, Chirac, the Spike Lee movie, last year. Right. Which is a weird movie and I didn't think was particularly great, but he, it's like a movie where a lot of the narration is told in song. It's like a like kind of like a musical. Mm-hmm. It is a musical. And he's like the narrator who's rhyming the whole time. 
it was a weird role. I didn't love it, but okay. I was also like, you're taking a chance and doing something interesting here. Okay, yeah. I mean, I respect that. You're, and then uh, yeah. someone mentioned Unbreakable as well. Yeah, Unbreakable's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think for me, you know, he would be underrated if I felt that he was looking for, if he was looking to do really interesting work mm-hmm. and, like, be legitimate. Like, if if he had come out in, like, a really, really great Amazon Prime series streaming as one of the leads this year, yeah. and, I, and it got well-reviewed, and I watched it, and I was like, this is awesome, I'd be, like, totally underrated. He still got it. Absolutely. Like, imagine if he was in one of those series, and he played, like, an alcoholic father that was, like, broken. You know, like, that would be... I would love to see him do that. Exactly. And that's that's where I think, when you see guys... You talk about movie star charisma. Mm-hmm. This guy was the definition of movie star charisma yeah. in his day. Like Absolutely. He had it in spades. So I, I, I would go... <laughs> yeah, we've got the... Uh, what, what was it? Mace Windu? Mace Windu, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would go... I mean, look. This motherfucker was... I'm talking like him now. <laughs> this motherfucker! <laughs> <laughs> he was so famous in his time that when they were making the Star Wars prequels... Yeah, they just put a... Yeah. He got his... He was... He got a purple lightsaber. You know that? Yeah. He's the only one that got a color that didn't exist. Yeah. Right. He got his own thing. I mean, like, I don't. I didn't even realize that it was as big as that. But I realized when he had the purple lightsaber, I was like, I've never seen that yeah, before. Yeah, because he was such a big fan. And he was such a big star that he got a purple lightsaber. He's got all these roles you forget about, like when he was in mm-hmm. The Incredibles. He's like one of the great roles in The Incredibles. Yeah. Like he's a really good actor and he does really good work. But when you see him in RoboCop, you see him show up, and it's like it's just weird. You're just kind of like, huh? I, I really do feel like there, it's still within you. If you wanted to pursue something great, mm-hmm. you could do something great. You know what? I think I think you've swayed me. I think he is properly rated. I, I want to change my answer. I, I do agree because I. If someone's overrated, yeah. I don't want to see them succeed. Yeah. I don't want to see the next cool Amazon series that they're in. Whereas with, with Sam Jackson, for sure, I absolutely would love to see him take a chance, do something cool, and and I would love to watch it. So, yeah, pr- properly rated. Properly rated. Yep, you've swayed me, man. Um, he is the, he is the Vin Diesel. So, guys, <clears throat> please Vin uh, Diesel. <laughs> tweet at us if you think we're wrong or if you have any ideas here. We're going to get into some production development stuff here, guys. Um, so, first... And- Brian Hurst just asked if we shouted out Fan Friction. Yes, if you were watching from the beginning, Brian, we shouted out quite a bit. <laughs> quite a bit, <laughs> sir. Um, so, uh, we're, we're going to get in here. Uh, yeah, this is some, like... Actually, a lot of the stuff written here we've, we've referenced already, and that's just mm-hmm. sort of trivia, so we can get back to it if we want to. But... Um, Talking about the writer on the film. The, yeah, this is, like you said, when I walked in the door today, you're like, this is the most interesting part of this entire film yeah. and it being made. By a mile. So starting starting off with Roderick Thorpe, who's a novelist, that the whole thing, Die Hard, is based on his book. Um, he is one of the two writers credited. The other writer is Jonathan Hensley. Now, if you work in the industry, I guarantee you know who it is. Yeah. Because we're in the industry, but like we're 28, so when you're reading about these things, there's still names where they come up and like... You know, I'm sure Anthony knows exactly who Jonathan Hensley is. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure. And, like, the the amount of work that this guy's done without you knowing about it will blow your mind. Yeah, so he started out writing episodes of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles in 1992. Now, he had two movies made in 1995. His two first feature film scripts, Jumanji and this movie. Yep. The script for this movie originally was called Simon Says, and he wrote it not to be a diehard movie. The first hour of this movie is virtually unchanged. He Uh, wrote it to be a Brandon Lee movie, and then it was going to be a Lethal Weapon movie. It was going to be, yeah, exactly. And they ended up making it as this movie. Now, this movie was the number one highest grossing movie worldwide in 1995. Three years later, Armageddon, another movie that he wrote, was the number one highest grossing film worldwide. Like, that's insanity. Yeah. This is... You don't need to do anything ever again if you've had the number one grossing movie once. Yeah. You know? Add to the fact that he has an uncredited major, major, major writing credit on The Rock. He pretty much wrote it. Yeah. Went into arbitration with the Writers Guild to get the credit lost. Michael Bay wrote a personal letter complaining about it because he felt that he so much deserved the credit. Uncredited rewrites on Gone in 60 Seconds, where mm-hmm. his script was heavily rewritten. He wrote The Saint, one of your favorites. Well, I love The Saint. <laughs> I love The Punisher. He directed The Punisher, yeah. the Thomas Jane one, in 04. Jumanji was his. Um, I mean, this guy, not to mention, this is the other thing that I thought was so cool about this. He's also married to Gail Ann Hurd, uh, NBD. In case you've heard of her, <laughs> maybe. But uh, this guy went to law school, okay? Mm-hmm. He went to law school, passed the bar, was practicing law, and went into writing at 31. We can still do it. <laughs> I just, when I read that, I was like, wow. Like, this guy had a whole career path, went to school for something that had nothing to do with mm-hmm. writing, or at least nothing to do with screenwriting, changed careers, started writing TV, ends up writing these movies, becomes friends with Michael Bay and Jerry Bruckheimer, has all these, and then he's married to Galen Hurd, he's not really doing so much work now. 
I just was like, wow. It, you and I are working very hard yeah. in this in this career that we've chosen, and it's always refreshing when you see someone that is thirty one and they start acting yeah. or they start writing. Yeah. You know, it's 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 mind blowing. There's I can't remember which actor it is. It's like a great. It's like one of the Brian Coxes or Anthony Hopkins out there. It's definitely not Anthony Hopkins, but like some guy that started acting in his fifties. Yeah, you know, and then they be, they went on to win Academy Awards and be amazing. So like. The fact that this dude started when he was 31 and he's done all those things you talked about is mind-blowing. Yeah. I mean, he's got some bad ones in there, too, like Next and stuff. Yeah, but, like, right. everyone's got those. Definitely. Uh, so, good on you, man. I love that you wrote The Saint. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, yeah I know you love The Saint. Yeah, so Jonathan Hensley, that's uh, the most interesting thing that I read about this movie. Um, then oh, you have John... Mc- okay, go ahead. I was going to say that the part of the beginning that you pulled was awesome was that <clears throat> he was actually detained by the FBI. Oh, for knowing so much about the Treasury? Yeah, and he was like, look, I got it all from an article I read in the New York Times. Yeah. Please let me go. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Um, so, uh, so talking about John McTiernan, <clears throat> uh, McTiernan, we've talked about on the show a bunch of times. Uh, he directed... Predator. He directed at least one other movie we've done here, right? Uh, he did the first Die Hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He just, so that those are the two times we've talked about McTiernan. Um, he was a big time director there for for a handful of years. He ended up getting uh, in trouble with the law, getting arrested for yeah. uh, and going to prison for perjury for lying to the FBI. Was that the one? Was he the guy that was like listening in the wiretap? The wiretaps. Yeah. That yeah. was just. And now he's just doesn't exist. Yeah. He was released in 03. Um, his last completed film project was was Basic with with mm-hmm. Travolta. Yeah. And um, you and I originally when we did the first Die Hard, you were trying to get him on the show. Yeah. And the only number we could find was for his lawyer. Yeah. Right? There was there was no contacts yeah. listed. So um, definitely one of these guys where you're you wonder you sort of just wonder like. Does this guy still have it? Did you see the one thing I wrote though that he originally was slated to direct Batman Forever, <laughs> but he passed on it to direct uh, to direct Die Hard? I eh, that's a good that's a good decision. <laughs> I wonder if, if if like Batman Forever had directed by McTiernan would have been awesome or like a, a subpar dark version of what like of what f- we have now that begins because like these movies aren't dark. Predator's not dark. Like, no, Hunt for Red October is not dark. They're like fun adventure movies. They're awesome, but like. Who directed Batman Forever? Do you know? Yeah, uh, Joel Schumacher. Oh, Schumacher. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it would have been more serious. Yeah. As, not as uh, stylized as they like to call it. That movie's so hard to, like, <laughs> place and, like... Uh, I thought you were going to say to watch, actually. <laughs> no, I actually like that movie. <laughs> uh, all right, should we get into uh, Critical? Box um, office? Yeah, I was just going to oh, really quickly uh, t- t- touch on Michael Tadros real quick. Um, Tadros is, is kind of interesting too. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of producers as there usually are in these movies. You definitely have McTiernan involved as a producer. Michael Tadros, Andrew Vanya, who like the Rambo movies and stuff yep. like that. He's one of those guys who worked in there. But um, Tadros was a production a production manager and a producer for like seven or eight years, really, really extensively. He has like some years before that. But a lot, he did all kinds of stuff in there, either working as a producer or production manager on like Black Rain, Die Hard Three, Ghost, Forrest Gump, Devil's Advocate, like a bunch of really big movies. <laughs> a really good stretch in the nineties there. So then get this: in ninety seven, he does Devil's Advocate, and after that, he only has three more credits listed. So you'd think, which often happens with these like major major producers, mm-hmm. when they stop working, the major credits are like irrelevant movies. His next three credits are I Am Legend, Sherlock Holmes, and Winter's Tale. Hmm. And I think Winter's Tale is, or is it Winter's Bone? Winter's Bone, um, with with uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, when Colin Farrell's in it. I can't remember if he's in it. Maybe it's Winter's Tale. Anyway, I <clears> wrote <throat> down Winter's Tale, but now I'm thinking it's Winter's Bone. Point is, I Am Legend and Sherlock Holmes were massive. Yeah, absolutely. Those are huge, 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 high-grossing movies that this guy was involved in. So he, I guess, he's still working. Um, he has some other stuff listed on his on his uh, IMDb as stuff that he's like, you know. in Supposedly announced to be involved in, but that's crazy. 1997, the last 18 years, he has three credits. I mean, maybe he just has enough money and he just doesn't care. And yeah. it's like, hey, do you want to get in on this, Sherlock Holmes? Sure, here's a couple million dollars. And right, yeah, wild. I was like, huh, that's that's very surprising. So let's move into critical. Being a producer in Hollywood's got to be one of the like most stressful and then like least stressful jobs. Yeah, like so you know? sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah. So critical here, we got uh, Fox released this. It uh, only cost $90 million to make. It was released May 19th in 1995. Domestically, it grossed $100 million, so it already made its money back. And then worldwide, it grossed $266 million, which just goes to show that Die Hard is one of the greatest franchises of all time. Yeah, I find it totally, totally fascinating that they didn't make a sequel for 12 years. Yeah, me too. It seems seems crazy that Die Hard 1 and 2 happened so quickly, 
and then three was just like a few years later. If, yeah, and they and they it was really good and and well received. Yeah. and made a ton of money. And Willis was just like, I don't want another Die Hard movie. I'm going to do do other stuff. And then twelve years later, decided to do one. Yeah, right. Because it was what, was two thousand eight came out. Two thousand seven, I thought. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. It it felt appropriate though. Maybe that's what it was. It's yeah. just like it would if he did a Die Hard four in like the early two thousands or late nineties, we would have been like, God damn it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, totally. totally. Uh, <clears throat> but people were not like that then. They uh, this opened number one at the box office, making twenty two million dollars, and critically, wow. Critically, it's got a 7.6 on IMDb, yeah. which is very high. Yeah, it's about right, though. Yeah. It's very well loved. Yeah, I, I'm totally happy with that. But the Rotten Tomato scores are, are crazy to me. 50% by all critics, 51% by top critics, and then 83 by audience, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's just not one of those movies that I expected it to be so um, unbalanced. I thought this movie was more well-liked. Same, and especially if like John Wick can get all in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it feels weird that this movie would be in the fifties. I don't know why that's one that I went to because yeah. they're, they're not the same at all. But this movie's good and enjoyable and funny and yeah. yeah. I don't know. Um, okay, well that closed. Or did you did you pull the uh, the graphic for box office or no? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Actually, uh, Steve, can you throw this up for us real quick and blow it up as big as you can? We're both blind as bats. Um, I I pulled this. This is Samuel Jackson's box office actually worldwide all time. Okay. Um, because if you think about, he's a, he's a supporting character. So so much of what he's in is franchise stuff that he's a supporting character in, right? Like the Avengers. But, yeah, but uh, Steve, can we go just a little bigger and maybe like scroll down from the top just so we can see, starting the top. So uh, and then to the left a little so we can see it here. Okay, perfect. So his number one highest grossing is at one and a half billion is you know the Avengers, uh-huh. and you have the Avengers: Age of Ultron, then you have Jurassic Park, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith. Captain America 2, wow. Star Wars Attack of the Clones, The Incredibles. So um, every single one of those. Iron Man 2, Iron Man, Thor, Django, Kingsman, Captain America First Avenger, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Legend of Tarzan. Other than Django Unchained, every single one of those movies has a sequel or is a franchise film. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's wild. I mean, if, the, the further down the list you go, the more you realize just how many high-grossing films this guy's been involved in. I mean, look at all... They're still all in the hundreds of millions. They're all over a quarter of a billion dollars. This is his top 20. Steve, can we go to the bottom and see what the last one listed is? Or is Unbreakable the last one? Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, his low, his 20th highest-grossing film he was in made $248 million worldwide. Unadjusted, by the way. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was a wild one when I pulled that up. I was gonna pull Willis, but I think we've pulled him before. Yeah, this is definitely way more interesting. I, I didn't realize that his twentieth highest grossing movie made still made over a quarter of a billion dollars and that he's only in sequels and franchise films. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean you just think about the sets that guy's worked on. Yeah. That guy's seen everything, everything that you could possibly see in this business. He's like a guy where if like he he like wrote a book or started a podcast, it would be like it would be so because you know like he's also one of those dudes like you said he's like such a badass so much yeah. movie star charisma and swagger that like people just want to hang out with that dude you know so like Completely. I bet he's hung out with everyone doing the craziest shit yeah yeah, I'll bet he's just awesome um, so uh, let's get into favorite line guys yes favorite line favorite line I actually had a lot of favorite lines in this oh I, really yeah I wrote down a bunch um, so why don't you go first and then I'll try to figure out which one I want to say you know I think there was a bunch of there was a bunch of the the interactions between McLean and Zeus when they're like like tied up and talking about his wife that I thought were really great. Um, I liked all that stuff, and, and I also thought the stuff at the beginning with Zeus talking to kids was funny. But, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. But ultimately, I think my favorite was just like, and it's not even it's not even like a meaningful line, but mm-hmm. he, they first get off the phone, and he's like the seven wives with seven and he, the whole thing. And he's oh like, yeah, he's like seven. He's like, he's like shut up, McLean. He's like no, seven. He's like shut the fuck up, McLean. I'm good at this shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that. That's like he, he tried to, no, no, wait, 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 no, no, no. It's too easy. It's too easy. It's a trick. Yeah, that's a great line. And also, when he's like, "I got it's it's two thousand four hundred one." He's like, "He's like, no, it is. It is." Like, yeah, it's just it like, is. I'm I know. smart. I'm smart. Yeah. Awesome. There's a lot that I really love. I thought it was really interesting that Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton were mentioned in this movie. Totally. I I, I saw it in the trivia afterwards, but I had noticed that too. I was like, wow. Yeah, that is just a crazy coincidence. One is like, I'll marry Donald Trump. The other is talking about Hillary Clinton as a presidential candidate. Right, and he's like. Uh, she'd be the 42nd, not the 43rd, which is if she won, she would be the 44th now, I believe. Yeah. Which yeah. is, that's just crazy to me. Uh, but I think, all right, I have to say this line, the uh, Detective Bob Thompson, grizzled, you know, like, yeah. that's great. It's just, but um, number one, 
Of course not. I'm a soldier, not a monster, even though sometimes I work for monsters. Yeah. Simon says that when he's talking about blowing up the school, which I think is probably the coolest line in the yeah. movie. And I remember when it was said that I loved that line so much as a kid Yeah. as well. Yeah. Because he makes him more likable. Absolutely. It yeah. makes him human. He's doing this because he killed his brother. Yeah. You know, he's not doing this to kill kids. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the other the other one that I love, and this is very similar to Miles Dyson in Terminator 2, but it's the first time you meet the, the bomb diffuser with the glasses. Oh, that guy's sweet. And, and he comes and he's like, really cutting edge, very cool stuff. Yeah, and he's like <laughs> super nerd, yeah, and he yeah. like throws the thing. Yeah. yeah, I love that guy. <laughs> that guy's awesome. Yeah. That was, actually his first, that was actually his first feature film role. Really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is crazy, because I've seen that dude a, a totally. bunch of times. He worked a lot after that. He's just like one of those guys. People loved him. Yeah, totally. I, I saw him and I was like, oh yeah, of course they cast this guy. Everybody loves that guy. Yeah. But it's his first movie. Um, so uh, we're going to get into AMA question of the day, guys. Uh, and the question is by Josh Ryan Sports, and that is, is Die Hard with a Vengeance peak Willis? Is Die Hard with a Vengeance peak Willis? So let's go on a couple categories. It's it's 1995. Mm-hmm. It's playing John McClane. The films surrounding are Pulp Fiction, Armageddon a couple years later, um, pulling up his the jackal, I think, is right around that same time. <laughs> I love the jackal. I, maybe Bonfire of the Vanities is around the same time. He's in four rooms in 1994. He's um, got the Sixth Sense in '99, Unbreakable in 2000. Yeah, he's right. He's right in the heart of the uh, peak of his career. Oh, Fifth Element '97. Yeah. Peak, peak of his career, definitely. But is this role in, in this year, this moment, is this peak? Is this Willis? peak Willis? Like as a character, as a, as an actor, I. Yeah. <sighs> In the way that, like, in the way that 06, uh, Mission Impossible 3 Cruise is Pete Cruise for like us. Pete Cruise, I guess, like, like so Last Samurai is like Pete Cruise. Yeah. Like, right there. It's tough because I grew up around the time that he was peaking. So growing up, it was just the greatest thing ever. Bruce Willis was the greatest thing for me. Like, he was my favorite action hero for so long. We, we always talk about when, when you're listening, like, okay, who, you know, what movie should we do this week? Okay, who haven't we done? For, and you, there's like four or five actors we name. Yeah. It's always like Willis, Cage, Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger, Cruz, mm-hmm. Gibson. Like, there's like four or five of them. Yeah. He was 100% in the category of just like... Absolutely. I, I actually think this might be peak Willis for me. Yeah. I, I, I The reason I say that is because there's nothing tired about it. He's still a badass. He's very funny. Uh, he's got that charisma that you talk about where he just says lines. Like, even in the trailer, you and I both laugh at that line yeah. he says. So, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to say that because I love what he does later in his career and what he does earlier in his career, but I don't think I love him m- more than I do right around this time. I think this is just pre-Peak Willis. I okay. think this is a few years prior. I think Peak Willis for me is is Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense time, yeah. Willis. I think it's, like, Sixth Sense Unbreakable, like... Um, before Tears of the Sun, mm-hmm. oh yeah, look who's talking. There you yeah, go. Yeah, look who's talking. That's good. Great. Um, yeah, I think for me it's like '98, like right around there. Okay, that's like that's peak Willis to me because it's the, the Sixth Sense to me is like everything about it's kind of everything about Bruce Willis. Twelve Monkeys happens right in a few years around, around the same time as this movie, I think. But that to me is like he's a bigger movie star. He wasn't just John McClane anymore. He had moved right. on from action movies a little bit. Um, or he was moving into other territories. So to me, I think '98 is peak Willis, but uh, but I can see. How, I mean, this is this is pretty damn close. Yeah, and I think I think it's just because of how endearing this movie is for me that I just like I love Bruce Willis yeah. in this movie. The I think kid, this is my favorite Bruce Willis performance. Is the kid 2000? Is that right? Yeah, the kid's fun. I mean, I love him in Looper as well. Yeah, I great. really like him in Looper, but it's so different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Looper's awesome. Um, so uh, you know what I actually think though is peak Willis is. Uh, Steve, cue the video. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Please, sir, thank you. <laughs> this is an old sketch from the Ben Stiller show. This is Die Hard 12. We showed this last time we did a Die Hard movie. with his wife. California. California. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone on their floor must now. Ah, <laughs> oh, this movie's great. A and suffer. <laughs> For the next ten minutes, we will have a special offer. Two million dollars in Christmas coupons in exchange for your life. That's Vadania and Chapel. And Chapel. What country is this guy from? They're as brilliant as they are ruthless. I want the Christmas coupon. Beat me. Bon appetit, Mr. Vettel. What's <laughs> very cunning? Find him! Paper of plastic, you son of a... <laughs> Such a well-written sketch. It really is. 12 times. 
I can see what he don't tell him. Hey fellas, gotta eat your greens! <laughs> Who the hell is this guy? Who are you? You're very annoying. I got news for you, pal. That's what the people pay to see. <laughs> He's got a great Willis. He does. Willis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, such a bummer that show got canceled. section, mister! What do you think I'm doing here? Comparison shopping, huh? What does he think he's doing? His job. His job. I'm in charge here! Scum check, L6. He's alone! He's tired! The food is rotten! The bathroom is locked! And he's running out of one-liners! Think, damn it, think! <laughs> Sorry to pick on you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your so incidental appearance at every terrorist attack on uh, Christmas Eve goes higher. This is always eating. Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> Store, we'll go shopping, we'll get a Christmas turkey. Uh, my face hurts. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Die hungry. Oh, How man. could the same thing happen to the same guy so many times? Bruce Willis, Die Hard 12. Coming this Christmas to theaters everywhere. everywhere. Solid. That is Peak Willis. That is Peak Willis. Yeah, absolutely. Peak. Deb <laughs> Oh, all right. That's, Every uh, time I watch that sketch, I just it's, oh, it's it makes me so happy. One of my favorites. So we're uh, we're we're wrapping it up here, guys. We're we're getting into the category of uh, which of the three categories this movie fits into. There are three action movie categories: totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. We've explained them many many times. Totally ridiculous is like Face Off, Con Air, movies that sort of fall apart. Mm-hmm. They are awesome, but you just laugh your ass off. Totally legitimate are movies like. Uh, the Fugitive or Terminator 2 very very well held together very well put together movies and then there are ridiculously legitimate movies like The Rock Point Break Con Air Spe- or, uh, Speed yeah. Predator they kind of laugh unintentionally throughout they're grounded with really compelling and driving plots but they're just you know they're just kind of silly yeah but they're yeah. awesome um, this is a really tough one it really is right yeah I don't I was know. just gonna I was gonna be like oh it's easy it's ridiculously legitimate but I it might just be totally legit because I feel like they make me laugh whenever they want to uh, yeah, maybe I, I laugh at Jeremy Irons sometimes, or yeah, but like I don't know. I think this movie is totally legit. I mean, it's so on the edge for me. If I was ever gonna like give somebody an example of of like movies that were totally legit, and I use this as one, I would ha- I would like there would be so many prerequisites. I feel like to use it as an example, which makes me feel like it actually is ridiculously legitimate. Yeah, like I feel like it'd be so hard, and we'd have to use so much of our own history of yeah. doing the show that we'd be like, oh yeah, well it's it's it is totally legit because of this 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 movie this and this you know like yeah completely i think i think our opinions on things on this show are like totally inbred at this point there's like we they, it's a very like, good way to put it yeah like, not consistent with the rest of the world anymore no it's just become the ama group mind here yeah there's like i mean you take things like we just just take for granted that independence day is not a good movie or that like yeah we just like take for granted that mission impossible 3 is the best mission impossible movie or like yeah or like that rambo first blood part 2 is just completely overrated yeah. and, and aged poorly yeah, we just or that Tony Scott's a genius. Like he is. We just take <laughs> that is for not debatable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's where I land with it is the, the middle category. Yeah, I, think I, I have to go ridiculously, ridiculously legit. I think I do too because it, it feels like I would be lying to myself if I said totally legit. Yeah, you know? I would have too difficult of a time explaining. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, guys, moving on. We got one thing left on the show, and that thing is called the pitch. The pitch. This is a special and exciting one, guys. We're not even. We're not doing a contest on this one. I. I don't know. I think we have gotten soft in our old age with the rules because now we just, if it's close, <laughs> we just age. do it. Yeah. And we talked about a long time ago that we didn't think we could do this movie, but my opinion differs. Mr. Mel Gibson has a film coming out this next week called Hacksaw Ridge. Yes. Uh, that movie is starring Andrew Garfield and Joel Edgerton. It's a, a movie, he's a, uh, uh, what's it called? A uh, conscientious like objector. Yeah. Where he doesn't want to hold a gun, but he, it's a, and I believe it's a true story. And he's, a, he's thrown into war and he ends up being a hero by saving, saving people. people. And uh, we wanted to, you know, take a quick look back to a classic Mel movie, to a classic Mel Gibson directed film called Braveheart! Ah, they could take our lives! So it's exciting. It is very exciting. Braveheart is, is one of my, I think growing up, Braveheart and Gladiator 
I would just for like a couple of years I would just watch them like every other day. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I am totally into it, guys. I, I think it's appropriate with Mel. So we're going to be hitting uh, Braveheart next week. If you guys are excited and you want to tune in and watch that one, be sure to tune back here the same time, same place, 12.30 streaming live next Wednesday. If you want to follow me, Andrew, or the show, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy. And we are excited to talk Braveheart with you. Remember, tweet your AMA question of the week for Braveheart next week so yeah, we can be a good one. chat it out with you guys and uh, be sure to leave a rating and review on iTunes of course it helps us stay high in the standings so we can continue to provide free content for you guys um, see you guys take, take care. care thanks from producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro Phil Svitek and the entire Popcorn Talk Network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com I'm Sir Richard Wentworth and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.